You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I am Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 8th, episode 3075. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning. Well, welcome back, Mary Kitzmiller. I'm glad to be back. I can't believe it's December already. I know every month it rolls around and, and we both have the same reaction. Oh, crap, it's time already. <laughs> yeah. I have to like start thinking about Christmas gifts. I'm a little late. You're a little late. You're probably busily making Christmas gifts for people, aren't you? I am. So because I have a touch of the ADHD and and a bit of the artistic gene, um, I usually take up some random hobby that I hyper focus on like a mad woman. And right now it's knitting. And I have decided that since I have knit three entire socks, I should do a sweater. So I'm almost, I'm actually almost done with my sweater. Um, no, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you knitted three socks and then started on a sweater. Yes. Do you see where the problem might be here? Are you seeing the, the, yeah, you see what's going on? And it's feverish knitting throughout the night using a pattern that I have no idea how to read and a bunch of YouTube videos, but so far it looks pretty good. Um, we will see, we'll see if it fits. It's almost done, but yeah, I, uh, I tend to go, I, d- I don't just lightly try things. I have to jump headfirst and do the most possible. So hopefully, hopefully it's done in time for Christmas and it looks decent and it fits. So are you knitting with knitting needles or are you knitting with a knitting machine? Knitting needles. Knitting needles. I just don't see you a knitting person. This is very interesting. I know, right? Yep, yep. You're usually so high tech and you have torches and machinery and computer programs and all that sort of thing. True. Well, and I think that's why I like the knitting because I need yarn and a couple of needles and that's it. And I can, you know, be in my comfy bed with my two obese chihuahuas listening to audiobooks and knit. So it's like a stress reliever. It keeps me off my phone doing the candy crush, which I'm also addicted to. Um, so yeah, I like things like knitting because I, it isn't high tech and really high maintenance. So yep, it's pretty, it's it. pretty, it, your, your knitting needles never need to update. The batteries don't run out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. And the other thing we need to catch up on before we start into our training tip for the month is how is your donkey doing that you took to the donkey makeover competition? What is his name and how's he doing? Okay. So I do not have him anymore because I was pretty much fostering him for the competition, Mr. Samuel, and he's available for adoption. Um, I, as much as I tend to adopt everything that comes across my path, I decided with Samuel, it would be better if someone who had fewer animals than I do and more time than I do adopt him and continue on with him. But I did tell the rescue, like, you know, hey, if uh, next year rolls around and he's still looking for a home, I maybe can come back and get him. Um, (laughs) Tell us about Samuel. What size is he, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Samuel's closer to like a very small pony size. He's like just a little bit larger than Minnie, even though he's called a mini mule. Um, and he is 14 years old and he is the best little gentleman in the whole world. And I love him. And he's an amazing mule. 
and extremely smart um, and very willing. And I think that's why we won is because he, you could just tell, like, he's just so game for anything and it comes very easily for him. So he's just a wonderful little guy. Um, and so at, yeah, at ele- so about 11 hands or so, he might, he may, might make somebody a little pleasure driving mule. Yeah. Yes. I don't think he's 11 hands. Probably um, closer to 10 I, then. <laughs> yeah. Maybe like nine. I, I can't, re- he's like, he's like kind of up to my hip, but yes, I think he would be a wonderful little driving mule. Um, uh, and yeah, I think that would be really good for him. Does he get on? Did well? He might not have had the opportunity because he was there for for training and hanging out with his friend. His friend that was also a mini mule. Would he? Do you think he would do well in a home where that also had horses? I do. I do. I think he he gets. So I did not turn him out with my other animals just out of safety sake. Um, but you know, I did introduce him to my horses, and he actually grew really attached to my giant Mustang Dougal. They would often greet each other over the fence and touch noses, and I think he, you know, he, he would he gets along with everybody. I think he'd be great in a herd setting. He's hardy enough that I think he could live on pasture and not have a problem. You know, sometimes you get you get a mini, and they're just so teeny tiny that you're worried about. Turning him out on a big wide open pasture, but no, he's, he's, uh, I think he'd be pretty low maintenance and easy going. Easy going. So, well, and because he comes from a rescue, they might not know. Is he a small mule because one of his parents was a miniature horse or don't we know? Uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm be willing to bet that he's a result of either a standard and mini donkey, um, meeting up with a mini horse or, or pony horse. Um, and they had the, the rescue, the sanctuary, it's, um, Lost Meadows. Um, they have a ton of these little guys. They're so tiny and cute. Um, now I will say that they typically only adopt out to Texas or surrounding states because they are very concerned with the safety and well-being of their animals. They want to be able to come out and check on them. Um, and so they they won't adopt out to very far away from Texas. They're in San Angelo. Um Okay, but, Texas listeners. Yeah. Exactly. Put the word out. Or New Mexico or, you know, Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, he's he's the result of two very small animals. There you go. So Sam, Sam's, Sam wants a home. And there's no bad time of year to welcome a mini mule into your home. I will put a link to the Lost Meadows adoption or rescue organization in the show notes for today's show. And maybe you could go and visit Sam and maybe a Mary Kitzmiller started mini meal would be great for your family. Just saying. And you can also see his video on YouTube and it shows all the skills that he learned when he was with me. He gets on a trailer. He's uh, you can bathe him. He clips. He stands for the farrier. He you can brush him. He does obstacles. I started a little Liberty with him. Oh, um, my goodness. Yes, it, it's his. And he gets on, yeah, he's adorable. And I'm so proud of how far he came. And he started out untouched, but he really wanted to be someone's buddy. There you go. So that's that's the story of Sam Mule, best name ever. Right. There we go. Now, next up, this is when we do the monthly training tip. And invariably, there's some kind of an inspiration on it. And this is actually a training tip part two. So give us the tip and why we have to have it in two parts. Uh, so this is actually a another method of last month, I believe we covered teaching your horse to line up to the mounting block. And I shared the one that I use with all my colts. And it's it's one of my favorite ones to teach. And it was a very like kind of organic where you it's you send the horse past and you just release every time they get kind of close to the mounting block and the horse eventually connects the dots and they line up to the mounting block. That's one of my favorite ones to teach because it really involves good feel, good timing. Um, and it's great communication between you and your horse. There's another version that I, uh, will also teach and it's kind of more like a circus trick in that it's very methodical. You give a cue and then you ask them to do it in all these very succinct steps. 
and the end result is pretty neat. And uh, I don't teach this one to people as often because the reason um, for that is you are teaching the horse to swing their hindquarters toward you in a very methodical fashion. And from my own experience, when you teach your horse to come into pressure rather than move away from pressure, which is what we're mostly doing in horse training, you know, I swing the rope at your hindquarters, I want you to move away, or I press my leg into your ribs and I want you to side pass away. Um, this one involves, I'm going to, uh, tap my horse on the hip that I want to come toward me. So you teach him when you feel the tapping on this side of your body, move in that direction. Now, when you teach it that way, horses tend to like doing it for some reason, they really get into moving toward the pressure rather than moving away from the pressure. And if you're not careful, you can get your horse swinging their butt towards you at inopportune times. And it can be a little scary. Yeah. So, but I'll show you what I do to prevent that. Um, So with this method, I will, all you need is a halter lead rope or you can use the bridle, um, just some get headgear on your horse. And then I use a little horsemanship stick. You can also use like a long dressage whip. You just want like something that you can use to lightly tap your horse. Um, So I start with the horse against a fence or a wall, and I'm going to stand at the horse's shoulder. Now, for some horses, standing so close to the wall like this can be a little discomforting. So I want to make sure I can get I I have that established first, that I can stand with them up against a wall. Like so your arena fence is perfect and stand at their shoulder and they don't get nervous. They don't want to move away from the wall. They can just stand there quietly. So, you know, get that established first. And then what I'm going to do. So if I am on, I'm going to be on my horse's left side uh, because that's you could teach us on both sides, but I'm going to do the side that I typically get, you know, mount and dismount from. And I'm going to have my left hand on the halter and lead rope. I've got my hand kind of right under the horse's chin so I can easily control whether he wants to go forward or backwards. Um, The whip or stick is going to be in my right hand. And I'm going to start by um, holding my right hand in the stick high up in the air, because this is going to be the cue. The finished version of this is I stand on a mounting block and I put my hand in the air and I kind of beckon them toward me and they, and and I, and I'm not using the stick by the time this whole thing is done. And it's, so it's kind of cool looking. You're like beckoning the horse, beckoning the horse towards you and they come towards you and line up to the mounting block. So I start holding my right hand and the stick high in the air. And then I'm going to kind of tap the air as my hand lowers and goes towards the horse's whip. Uh, hip, if that makes sense. So my hand's high in the air. And then as I'm lowering it towards the horse's hip, I'm kind of waving, 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 waving. So that's telling the horse, hey, I'm asking you to do something. And you're giving them a ton of warning that, you know, I'm going to ask you to move. Um, and they're not, obviously not going to understand at first. But after you do this a few repetitions, they're going to understand. And that means less tapping. So once my hand lowers and my hand's kind of out at a 90 degree angle, I will lightly tap the horse on the hip. So I will be tapping them with the whip on their the left side of their hip. Now, because they're up against, they're going to want to move away, uh, especially if you've taught them to yield their hindquarters. They're going to want to swing to the right, but they can't because there's a fence there. So usually the next thing they want to do is they might want to back up or move forward. So with my left hand on that halter or lead rope, I gently block them from coming forward and or I'll ask or I'll keep them from moving backwards. You want to be very gentle and understanding and slow with this. You do not want to be too aggressive because you've got the horse up against the fence. They're going to be a little confused to start. So you want to be just real slow, methodical, use the least amount of pressure possible. And um, I'll just keep lightly tapping. Again, it's just a very light tap, enough of a tap that they are trying to give you an answer. Um, and then one of those, you know, at some point and then trying to figure out, well, do I move away? No, I can't because there's a fence. I can't move backwards. I can't move forward. They are going to either lean or step away from the fence. And that's what I'm going to release at this point. When I release, I'm going to pet on the horse and I'll take the whip and rub them gently on the hip where I was tapping them. And that's going to let them know you did good. If you're doing 
uh, positive reinforcement training. In addition to this, you know, this is where you can click and treat. Um, so I'll give them a good long break after that first step that they take. Sometimes if the horse just got kind of nervous or uh, doing that first step, I might walk them around a little bit, just kind of, you know, shake it all off and then go back to the fence and do it again. You want to keep them from getting nervous. You want to keep this nice and relaxed. And then I ask again. So I put my hand up high in the air and then I wave, 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 wave until I'm tapping on their hip. And then once they take a step forward, I release, rub on them, praise them, treat Um and you're going to repeat that. You'll be surprised how fast they get this. Um, and I ask for one step at a time. I don't ask like, oh, immediately line all the way up to a mounting block. I just ask them to take one step toward me with that hit. That's all I'm going for. Once they get to where they're 90 degrees off of the wall, what I'm going to do then is I'm going to ask them to move their hip back to the wall. So when I want the horse's hip to move away, I am going to kind of lean forward a little bit more, look at that hip with a little bit more intention, and I'm going to tip their nose toward me. And that means move your hip away. So I will practice having them bring your hip toward me. When I ask them to bring my hip toward me, I'm standing up more straight. I, I, I have the body language of like, I'm pulling you toward me. So I'm standing up straight, kind of beckoning them toward me. But then when I lean forward and apply the same amount of pressure, that means move away. So I'll practice that before I ever get the mounting block out of move your hip away. Now bring it back toward now move your hip away. Now bring it back toward. And because I want to get it established early on, there's a difference between I need you to move away and I need you to come toward me. That's how you prevent them from just swinging their hip at you at totally random times when you don't want it to happen. Um, you can, I, I can usually get all of this done in one day, but there's no reason why you have to try to make it all happen at once. Uh, so you can just do this a little bit every day, maybe at the end of your ride, keep it nice and relaxed and slow, take as long as you need, as many sessions as you need. Um, once I have that, um, uh, that ability to bring the horse's hip toward me, now I can start doing it with the mounting block. And I just give the same cue of, I'm going to, I, I'll usually do it off the wall without the mounting block first uh, of, okay, I'm going to raise my hand up high and have you step your hip toward me. And then I'll get the mounting block into the equation. And I usually very, I don't need the stick or whip for very long, usually just a couple of times. And then after that, um, I just, the next time I want my horse to come up to the mounting block, I stand on the mounting block and I raise my right hand high up in the air. And I'll just make a little beckoning motion with it. Um, and that's enough for them to make their hip come toward the mounting block. And I always like to, uh, I have a habit, especially with my horse Remy, of he always gets a cookie when he does it every time. Because I could probably get him to do it a hundred times without ever needing a treat to maintain it. But I want him to really want to come to the mounting block. And I want to, you know, I want it to be like a, hey, thanks for doing that. Um, and I've kind of overdone it with him to the point of he won't walk off unless I feed him a treat. But that's kind of a nice problem to have because it's like, oh, my horse doesn't want to move away from the mounting block, which is usually the problem we're dealing with when using a mounting block to get on our horse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, I find this interesting because I was recently at a trail competition and the person you rode out on the trail in small groups. And the group I was in was just two of us. And the lovely lady that I was riding with uh, dropped something. So she had to stop and hop off and get back on again. And she really wanted to use a mounting block of some sort. She had just had a knee replacement very recently. So her mounting skills were not quite back to normal yet. And luckily for her, the horse was not particularly giant. So a small fallen tree did the trick. But I can pick for so for even for people who don't typically use a mounting block, this skill can come in handy to occasionally. And even when you're not using a mounting block, I'm trying to think of ways, other reasons you might want your horse to come towards you under certain circumstances. And I can see that. Out in the real world, there might be situations where, you know, I can't get on the opposite side of my horse 
to move him over, but I need him to get closer to where I'm at. And this could be a really useful skill. Well, I'll tell you two other times that I use this skill um, where I'm not using it for mounting block. And that's when uh, I got really into learning um, more about in-hand dressage maneuvers. Uh, So, yeah, with a lot of uh, kind of the more, I guess, Western or natural horsemanship style groundwork, um, a lot of it kind of stays in a very rudimentary um, area of, oh, we're going to lunge you around, we're going to use your hindquarters, we're going to move your shoulder. And I wanted to start going into, okay, how do I make this? How do I advance from this? Because my horse can only go in a circle so many times. And I use this to teach haunches in on the rail. Um, So this way I can stay on the same side of my horse and have them bring their haunches off the rail Instead of me having to figure out how to go around to the other side and push their hind end over, I have them bring it toward me. And it's a great way to start teaching that kind of collection. And, um, you know, when you start getting into the in-hand maneuvers, the other time that I've used it is in photography sessions, believe it or not. So, um, you know, I'll, ha- I'll be doing a photography session with Remy and the photographer wants, you know, I need his left foot to step towards you one step. Well, if I like walk over to the other side and try to shove his butt over, he might then move more steps than we need to. It's going to take more time. And I can just look at that hip and I can just bear like I just make a tiny little motion and he steps his hip toward me. So, with, you know, any. Thing that you can do to get even more precision over your horse's feet without having to do a whole bunch yourself is going to reverberate around everything you do with your horse. So it, it's, it's, I found it helpful in unexpected, unexpected situations like that. It is funny how when you, when you start down these rabbit holes, kind of like knitting three socks, you never know when you're going to need three socks, Mary. I know. Well, so again, ADHD, <laughs> I I did three socks and I'm like, I'm done with socks. It's time for sweaters. So I need to do a four sock. So I have a, an, a whole pair. Um, no, you have a I pair have of socks and a pairs. spare is what you have. Yeah. Yeah. Pair of socks and a spare. Um, That's right. But it was getting close to Christmas and I'm like, I need to make some gifts with my <laughs> newfound skill set. There you go. And speaking of Christmas and gifts... Our show today is brought to you in part by the folks at Horseware, you know, Horseware Island, the folks who make Rambo blankets and bridal work. Well, currently they're having their 12 days of Christmas sale. No surprise there. If you head on over to horseware.com right there at the top, you'll see 12 days of Christmas. And each day they add another product. They have all kinds of great stuff. They have outerwear. They have bridles. They have the famous Rambo Flybuster. Hey, Buy the Flybuster in the middle of winter when it's on sale for a mere $99.95. Normally, the Flybuster is $219. Hello! Get it now. The flies will be back soon enough. There you go. Quite a change in price points. And they also have the Horseware Pro Sport Saddle Pad, which is both beautiful and practical. On sale from for $49.95 down from $99.95. And also, when you look at the top of the page, they'll have a banner going across the top with additional savings. So head on over to horseware.com. Check out the savings. Buy something for you or a friend. Uh, so our first question is from Carly. And she asks, what do you look for when you think a horse is ready to move up from a snaffle to a curb-like bit? And that's a super good question. Um, and there's uh, a few things that I would like a horse to be doing, and it's actually skills that I teach them while they're in the snaffle, because I used to think that, so in the Western world, obviously, um, we do a lot of neck reining and riding a horse one-handed in a bridle. So that would be like a curb bit. So it's a leverage bit. Um, that's kind of our mark of this horse is really broke and he's got you know these advanced skills and a lot of show associations when a horse gets to a certain age you are showing one-handed in a bridle um so i used to think that i would teach all of this kind of direct rein two-handed stuff with a snaffle and then i would change to a curb bit and then teach the horse neck reining which is a bit backwards um and i used to think oh it'll be like a year before my horse 
can start neck craning. Um, I teach it as early as possible. So some of the skills I would like to have in place is first that a horse can carry a bit comfortably. Um, you know, they don't have any problems with the snaffle. They're not gaping at the bit or trying to put their tongue over it. So they need to be very accepting of a bit period. Um, I would like some basic understanding of body control and leg cues so that they, you know, they know to move away from my legs and, you know, I've got some lateral movements um, and I should be able to ride them around on a loose, uh, loose rein, one handed in a snaffle, which is, there's no reason you can't neck rein in a snaffle. If you're not showing, you could neck rein in a snaffle for the rest of the horse's life. You could neck rein in a Bozal or a side pole, a bitless bridle, whatever. Um, so I teach that with the snaffle first. Uh, the other thing I want to make sure my horse has an understanding of is when I pick up contact with that snaffle bit, they know to soften and accept that contact. Um, they don't throw their head up or try to rush through or they're not afraid of it. Um, so they should have all of those things going pretty well with a snaffle before I switch to a curb. Um, as far as teaching, you know, these skills, teaching neck reining, especially, um, when I'm riding my horse around, I'll start just putting the reins in one hand and see, well, how far can I go without my horse getting confused? So if I'm just riding down the trail, I'll put the reins in one hand and, um, you know, I'll use my legs just to kind of give them some context clues of what I'm asking the horse to do. And if they get too confused and they get turned around, I'll just pick up two reins, you know, set them right. And then I'll go back to one hand again. And I'll start doing that with more and more to, uh, advanced things like steering and circling and my ladder work. Um, so it's very natural and very easy just to start, you know, riding one handed. Um, when I can do all of that fairly easily, I will put them in a curb bit. Um, and I actually am not really using the chain curb straps anymore. So if you have a curb bit on your horse, you need to have a curb chain or a curb strap. That's how they're balanced. Um, so I use a leather curb strap and, um, I like to do, uh, I like to make sure, you know, I'll back my horse up on the ground and things like that, just to let him know, Hey, there's a curb strap under your chin. I'm not just going to get on and pull on the reins and hope for the best. And I want to make sure they understand that curb action, which is a little bit different from the snaffle. But most of my horses, by the time I move to a curb bit, they really don't have a hard time adjusting to it at all. And once I'm in the curb, that also doesn't mean that I have to ride one-handed. I can ride two-handed um, just the same. So if they get confused, I'll go two-handed in the curb and set them right. And then I'll go back to one hand again. And I'll switch back and forth. Some Like Remy, I actually have back in the snaffle right now just because I'm like, well, I think there's some lateral things I want to fix on you. And um, it's easier to do that with the snaffle. Uh, because a snaffle kind of has a direct line of communication from the corner of the horse's mouth to my hand, whereas a curb has that leverage action and it, you know, it, it's, can be a little bit more difficult to do some of the lateral work if your horse is still learning. Um, so there's no set rule unless you're, you know, showing the horse and the horse is now six years old or whatever age, um, you're supposed to show them one-handed. Um, but if you're just training at home, there's no rule uh, on what bit you need to use when. And you're totally allowed to backtrack and go and fix things or add things and then go back to the curb again. Very interesting. And the whole process of transitioning between snaffles and bosals and curbs is so foreign to me because in my little universe, that just wasn't something that happened. <laughs> And I, and I oh, tend and to, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I was geeking out because that's my, so typically the way I learned was you go snaffle bit and then you ride in a bridle, which is a curb bit. And those are the two things that you do in Western. But then there's this whole other thing, which we've talked about on the show, I believe, and we've had some guests talk about it, uh, which is the California or Vaquero method, which is uh, the snaffle bit the bozal, the two rein, which is a bozal and a spade bit or a bridle bit. And then 
you the horse finishes straight up in the bridle, meaning he's in the spade or curb bit. Um, and it's a really fascinating pro, uh, process. It's got a lot of really cool history. It goes back to European settlers, um, you know, and uh, it, it's a very cool way to take your horse step by step without there being a whole bunch of confusion or resistance. Um, but that could be like a whole other show's worth of information. <laughs> just to, just to get my eyes to glaze over a little bit further. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there we go. Well, speaking of difficult and needing a break from things, because it's the holiday season, I'm going to drop in here a quick holiday song. This one being from, I believe the 2016 radio thon. And then when we come back, we are going to answer another listener question. And in this case, it's going to be me, the listener question, because Scooter has brought up questions now that he's gone to a proper competition. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Woohoo! So first up for you is Elizabeth Muller. She has been the most consistent over the years in sending in songs. And we used her song in 2015 as the opener. And here it is. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Toys in every store. But the prettiest sight you'll see are the horses that will be out your own front door. A pair of Cavallo boots and a pony that scoots are the wish of Wendy and Glenn. Horses that rock and will go for a walk are the wish of Jamie and Jen. And Philip and Reese can hardly wait for showing to start again. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. There's a tree in the Grand Hotel, one out fox hunting as well. The sturdy kind that doesn't mind the snow. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Soon the sleigh bells will start. And the thing that will make them ring is the carol that you sing. Right within your heart. Right within your heart. Merry Christmas. So Scooter the Driving Pony went to a little obstacle course competition week before last. And all holes in training become more obvious when you go away from home or to competitions. And I knew it was there. It was just, oh my gosh, it's really there. And he struggles with moving away from me when I'm away from anybody when you're leading him. So when you're leading him along, you're standing on his left like you normally do, and you need to make a right turn, he needs to move away from you. And this is something he struggles with. It doesn't matter which side. So I wanted to get some help, some help from Professor Mary on helping Scooter to understand that when I move towards him, he has to move away and not wait till I actually run into him and push him away. <laughs> Help. Yes, understandable. So what do I do? What what's a what's a good first step? He's a pony who is very very into pressure. Anything that touches his body, he pushes back against. And that mm -hmm. is amplified for anything that touches his body from the pole to his lips. He was he was tethered like a dog in a yard for some time and not fed. So his way of surviving was to pull as hard as he could on whatever was on his head so that he could get food. So that's that's one of the PTSD things he came with. So working, I found that I, I found a tiny, tiny, tiny little rope halter that works pretty well so that if I can if I can give it a sharp tug, like if he's put, if he's moving away from me, I can give it a sharp tug when he gets to the end of the rope and he will mm -hmm. come back towards me. But that same lead rope with that same rope halter, if he just goes to the end of it and I just hold on to it as, as if it was tied, he immediately mm -hmm. leans into it as hard as he possibly can. So mm -hmm. that's kind of where we're coming from. What what can I use? What can I practice? What skill might I start to teach him that will help him understand that when I move towards you and I'm, I'm in a halter and lead rope, 
you just keep going away from me. <laughs> there are a ton of exercises you can do. And um, oddly enough, I have to do a lot of these move your shoulder away from me with my Mustangs. Um horses leaning into pressure is not at all uncommon, especially a horse that has had trauma or has been taught to lean and push and, and all of those things. Um, for a lot of horses, it's a defense mechanism. It could be a security thing to where they're like, well, if I'm right on top of you and I'm actually in the front pocket of your shirt, then I'm safe. Um, or it could be this person is trying to apply pressure, but I know if I step on their toes, the pressure will go away. Or if I push them around with my shoulder and neck, they will scream and run away from me. So I'm going to keep on doing that. Um, or like I said, they've just been a cut. Someone's either hung on them in the past or they have been improperly halter trained or they've been staked out and are used to just dragging things around. So not at all an uncommon problem. Um, I noticed with my wild Mustangs, they use their shoulder and neck oftentimes to try to move my feet and position me to make themselves feel safe. It's not a, they're trying to be the alpha or they're being disrespectful. They're trying, they're, the Mustang doesn't know that I'm not going to kill them when we first meet. They have no idea. I'm a predator in their eyes. And so they will often try to push into me with their shoulder because they don't want me walking on a particular side. They don't want um, you know, they don't want me to stand over here or over there because they feel unsafe. So they'll push toward me. So I do a lot of exercises where I teach them to yield away and then it's going to be okay if you yield. Um, so one of the first things I do is I actually teach it out on a long, um, lead rope and I'll use a flag or the end of my rope or body language, whichever works. Um, and I teach the horse, um, if I'm standing out in front of you, so the horse is facing me, were a few feet apart on the halter and lead rope, I will pick up my hand and tip their nose away from me. And I want them to step in that direction. This not only teaches them to move their shoulder away, but it's also going to be a precursor to when I'm on their back, because what am I going to do? I'm going to pick up the rein and tip their nose in that direction and I'd like them to go in that direction. So you're killing a few birds with one stone. And uh, with most horses that are kind of a blank canvas, um, I tip their nose and I can kind of wave my hands towards their head and neck and they'll step away. Some horses need me to twirl the lead rope towards their head and neck and get them to step away. And some horses I will use a flag. And I love using a flag because it can create a lot of energy with very little pressure. But I would be very mindful of using a flag if you've never used it before because it can create big reactions in your horse. Um, so just kind of keep that in mind. Be very careful with how you wield it. Um, so anyway, that's the first exercise is I'm going to their nose in one direction and I'm going to apply pressure toward their head and neck, usually the upper part of their head and neck. Typically when we want our horses to move their shoulder away, uh, we tend to want to put pressure on their shoulder, but that's a big, strong, meaty part of the horse that's less sensitive than other areas. And especially if the horse is pushy, you can tap on that shoulder and they're going to not move away. So I typically find that you have more luck if you put the pressure toward their head and neck, higher up on their head head and neck, because they're a little bit more sensitive in that area. And it usually takes very little to get them to step away from that pressure. And that's where I start. Tip their nose, ask them to take one step. That's it. Um, and I will do that in both directions. And that's my starting point of move your move your body away from the pressure. Um, I, from there, I can go to asking for more and more steps to where I actually teach them to yield their shoulders around and pivot sort of, you know, imagine like a reining horse, but in slow motion. Um, so that's where I'm going to start is, uh, so you can actually stand at the horse's shoulder for this, uh, getting the horse to move in a circle where they're moving their shoulder away from you. I will use my hands or I'll use a dressage whip. Um, and I will usually I use both hands. I kind of raise my hands up towards their head and neck and I'll kind of tap the air. And if they don't move away, I'll just lightly tap them until they take a step away. Soon as they take a step away, I will go to petting on their head and neck, 
um, just to, cause I don't want them to get too nervous just cause I wave my hands up by their face. So they need to learn the difference between I'm vibrating my hands and asking you to move. And now I, now that you've stopped, I'm going to reward you. Don't be afraid of my that's hands a, being That's a, an extremely important point, I think, because this type of training, I think can go way, way wrong in that you teach your horse to be head shy. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So the horse can understand the difference between that visual aid of you come, you're vibrating your hands, think jazz hands, versus you're approaching the horse and you're going to rub in between the eyes. Very important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. And they'll learn the difference between how assertive you are. If I face my horse and I'm looking right at him and I raise my hands and I'm like, move away right now with rhythm, that should mean, okay. There's pressure happening. I need to move away from it. If I'm walking up to my horse casually and I'm going to pet him on the face, that means, you know, stand still. You don't need to do anything. So I like to, once I get him to move away, then I'll go back and pet him on the head and neck and say, hey, that was really good. So that they don't confuse the two. Um, I would practice that at the standstill now that I think about it and get it really good. Um, So you just get one step at a time. So I turn towards him. I wave my hands. And then I'll lightly tap him and I'll go as hard as I need to for him to take a step away and then release and rub. Now, some horses will want to run forward. Actually, a lot of horses will want to go forward instead of moving away from the pressure. If they do that, I get I just get out in front of them more. Some horses, I have to stand almost at their nose doing this. And that just pushes their energy backwards a little bit. Um, some horses are so like anti doing this and very pushy about this that I'll do this up against a wall. So I'll have my horse perpendicular facing the wall. So the nose is on the wall. I'm standing up by their head and neck and I push, I push their head and neck away. They can't go forward because there's a wall there. And then as soon as they step away, release and rub. So, you know, do whatever you can to kind of help drive yeah, the point home. That was the only way I was able to get Scooter started taking a step back. He's he's mm-hmm. one of those kind of ponies in that taking a step back or even sideways is not in his playbook. You'll notice that even when he's out with other horses, he's never the pony that backs up. Yeah. <laughs> so I that's a good that's a good that's horses, a good tool to use. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I will say that rarely some horses do want to back up instead of moving forward. That's very that's not as common. Um, in that case, I will place my body positioning back toward the horse's shoulder more. So I encourage him, if, you know, to come forward a little bit instead of running backwards to get away from it. So I would get that really good. And I would practice that get one step when you can get one step away from you consistently, then get two steps. So this should look like they're moving away from you and they're crossing one foot in front, one front foot in front of the other. So if you're going to the right, his left foot should be crossing in front of his right foot. Now, some people that do this maneuver for showmanship classes get really hung up on what their back feet are doing because the finished maneuver, they should plant that inside hind foot and it should not move as they're pivoting around. I do not worry about it at all. I don't even look at it in the beginning because if they're not planting the hind foot, it means their shoulder's not moving free enough. So all I care about is, is your shoulder moving away? The back feet sort themselves out eventually. Um, if I get the shoulder more freed up, they will eventually plant that foot and start doing a proper showmanship pivot. Um, but for the sake of what you're doing, we don't need to go that nit, you know, nitpicky. Um, so I would get that really good until you can get one, two, three steps in a row, one step, two step, three step, four steps to where you can do a full circle of him moving his shoulder around. Once you have that done, now you can start practicing it in a leading scenario. So what I do is I walk my horse in a straight line and then I'm going to do a 90 degree turn to the right. And I kind of, as I'm doing this, I'm kind of leading my horse like I'm in a showmanship class. So my hands are kind of out in front of me, like I'm holding a pizza box. Um, and it's kind it kind of creates this, um, sort of barrier for my horse 
because when I want him to move away from me, I will start turning toward him and my hands are kind of already out in front of me. And if he's not moving away, now I can take my hands up in the air and start vibrating towards him, just like we were doing at the standstill. And I'll keep doing it until he makes that 90 degree turn. As soon as he gets through the turn, I'm going to go straight again. So going straight will be our reward and release. So I'll go on a straight line and then I'll make another turn and I'll make a big show of I'm going to turn my body. My hands are out in front of me. We're going this way. If he's not out of the way, by the time I get there, I'm going to wave my hands and tap him on the head and neck until he moves away. And I'd practice that over and over and over again. And it's actually helpful to do this on both sides. So lead him from the offside and teach him to do this in the other direction as well. So I would do lots of straight lines, 90 degree turns, straight line, 90 degree turns. So you're going to make a bunch of big boxes and rectangles and squares in your arena. And the more you could practice this at home in a, you know, quiet setting to where he's not nervous, the better off you're going to be when he gets out in the open at the obstacle challenge and there's crazy things waving about. He's going to listen better if you've practiced this a lot at home. Perfect. And he's also going to be less pushy, pulley, Yankee, tuggy. He'll just be more attentive to being led. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's that's one of the skills he really needs to practice because he's such an independent little cuss. Nothing scares him. He's just curious as all get out. The one obstacle we had to do was it was a a big muck tub type thing and there was stuff inside of it and the stuff was attached to a string that went up over a tree limb and you had to bring it up like um an old-fashioned bucket in a well Mm -hmm. and the stuff attached to the string was covered with bells and sparkly garland and stuffed toys it was just random crap so that when you lifted it up it all shimmered in the light and jingled and made this racket. He grabbed a hold of it and tried to pull it off the string. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just him. So this is these are great things for me to practice to help him understand that I am not your stuffed toy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's great stuff. So we're going to take another quick break here. And again, it's the holiday season, so I can play as many holiday songs as I want. This particular one was submitted by a listener for one of our past radiothons. And when we come back, we're going to answer another listener question. Woohoo! Woo! Hey, everyone. It's Biz here from Horse Nation. And it was brought to my attention that I am the only Jewish representation here on Horse Radio Network. And by not submitting a voicemail, I was letting down the entire Jewish equestrian community. So not wanting to do that, I desperately came up with a voicemail submission. And here it is. So I hope you all have a happy holidays and enjoy my terrible singing. Christmas. I'm the only one that's here on HRN. And Jamie, Jen, Glenn have just one thing to ask of me. But I couldn't come up with a stupid song that should have pleased. And that desperately pleading, please, Leslie, don't fire me. Cause I'm a Jew, a horsey Jew. On Christmas Now Hanukkah is nice But why is it That it comes without Those sweet candy canes And instead of eating them My horse is chewing on my sleeve And without the fuzzy sucking My stall front looks quite empty And can somebody please tell me Where to make yarmulkes for I'm a Jew, a horsey Jew. I'd be merry, but I'm Hebrew on Christmas. Okay, so our next question is from Elizabeth, and her question is How do you teach a horse to ground tie? Um, great, great question. And this kind of uh, I kind of uh, tackled this the same way I answered Carly's question about the snaffle bit and the bridle bit in that I just start doing it as soon as I can. 
Um, so like I'm working with my little Mustang right now, who I still can't get a name to stick to, but that's a whole other thing. Um, but she's still a pretty wild girl and she's still pretty green, but I have started doing things like teaching her to ground tie. And all I really do to start is it usually comes across very naturally. I'll have my horse out in the middle of the arena and I'll realize, oh man, I forgot this whip that I wanted to use, or I forgot this piece of equipment. And, um, I will just leave my horse where they are and, go get that piece of equipment and come back. Now I usually have a pretty good idea that they're going to stand still for at least 30 seconds while I go get the thing off the wall. If I don't, I'm not going to let them go. Um, but that's, that's kind of how I do it is usually, um, I've got my horse somewhere and I, I don't do this just out in a pasture, by the way, I'm in an arena. So even if she runs off, I can catch her. Um, but I'll just start putting that rope on the ground or putting it up over their neck and I'll go grab the thing I need to grab and come back. And they, they sort of learn that way just to stand still. Um, but I will also do a more methodical approach. So, um, usually I start working on it as I'm doing groundwork. So I will, um, when I'm teaching a horse to pick up their feet, I usually get to a part of, uh, feet handling where the horse is really good and they're kind of standing, half asleep while I'm picking up their feet, you know, all four feet. And I'll just start putting the rope on the ground and messing with their feet while I'm not hanging on to them out in the middle of the arena. Um, so things like that will kind of plant that seed that the horse is meant to stand still. Um, and, uh, or like when I'm saddling a colt, I saddle all my colts in the middle of the arena for a couple of weeks before I tie them up. Um, it's a very big safety issue for me. So in the beginning, when I'm saddling my colts, I've got a hold of that rope and I've, I'm like really on my toes and very alert to my surroundings and ready to control their feet at the slightest movement. But after a couple of weeks of saddling out in the middle of the arena, the horses relax, they're half asleep, they know the drill. And so I'll start saddling them with that rope on the ground. And actually that's a test for me. If I can put that lead rope on the ground and saddle, you know, walk up with the saddle, put it on the horse, walk around, undo the cinches, go to the other side, adjust the cinches, um, all without having to touch my horse and my horse doesn't move. Then I know that I can now tie you up on the wall to saddle you because you are very accepting of this. You're not worried. You're not thinking of running off or moving or bucking or anything like that. Um, so that's where I plant that little ground tie seed. Uh, when I start getting into a more methodical approach, um, I will start actually practicing it. Like I'm going to put the rope down and I'm going to walk around you two or three circles and come back and pet you and reward you. Um, and you can, you know, ask a little bit more for, uh, you know, demand a, that they stand still a little bit longer, a little bit longer, a little bit longer each time. And the trick is to, you know, always make sure you release before that horse thinks of moving. So if you think they're going to walk away after a minute, then you go catch them at 50 seconds, if that makes sense. Um, and you just build more and more duration of that behavior until they're really good. Now, I had a particular horse, Guthrie. He was one of my wild card horses um, at Road to the Horse years ago that I was doing demos with, I was doing clicker training demos with. And I noticed that when I would do these demos, I often didn't have a place to tie him if I needed to go get something off the fence. And I didn't have an assistant with me to hold him. And he would be a little bit clownish if I had him loose in the arena while I was trying to talk and answer questions. He'd play with whatever obstacles were there, or he'd walk up really close to me and start messing with me and just be a little bit silly. So I wanted to have a really solid, good ground tie on him to where he could stand for several minutes without having to be supervised. So with him, I actually really, really got into this. I taught him to stand on a little rubber stall mat, a square of rubber stall mat that I had. And I initially taught it by, I put that on the ground, have him put two front feet on it, click tree. I was using positive reinforcement training for this. Um, and I built this up to where he could stand on that for about five seconds before he felt he needed to move. And he was like three or four at the time. So he was still young and silly. So standing still for him was challenging. 
Um, so what I actually did was I used, I borrowed a technique from a trainer named Alex Curlin called 300 peck pigeon. So I can't get into why it's called that. It's a very scientific reason why it's called it, but that's a whole like other 15 minutes of explanation. So, so the game was, I was going to see, can I walk around you while counting to 300 and you don't move? So 300, uh, I was actually counting my steps. So I was kind of mimicking, like I'm in a demo with this horse and I'm walking around and answering questions. And his job is to stay on that mat and not move. And I was, my goal was to get up to 300 steps. Now that's several minutes worth of time. Uh, obviously he wasn't going to do that on day one. So I started with, let's see if you can stand for a count of five steps. And my rule was, um, you can, if you needed to shift your feet on the mat, fine. If you take a step off the mat, but you correct yourself and put your foot back on totally fine. If you step off the mat and leave or leave, um, then the count is going to start all over. So I started with five steps. So I put them on the mat. I clicked and treated him for going to the mat. And then I gave a cue where I pet him on the face and said, whoa, which means you need to stay here until I tell you to do something else. And I walked around for a count of five, one, two, three, four, five steps. If he didn't move, click, treat, and I um, give him the whoa cue again. So I clicked, walk over, hand him the treat, run my hand down his face and say, whoa. So now the the new rule is you need to stand for six steps because we know you can do five steps. You just did it. So now it's six steps. So I go one, two, three, four, five, six, click, treat, tell him, whoa, do it again. Now it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps, click, treat, do it again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight steps. So you see how this comes about. Now let's say I got up to 10 steps and at step number nine, he leaves. I would go and put him back on the mat. No clicking and treating because I'm correcting the behavior. He wouldn't get punished. I'd just go walk up to him, catch him, lead him back up to it. And I'd say, whoa, again, no click treat. And I would start the count over. So I'd have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Let's say on the ninth step again, he leaves. Same thing. I'm going to go put you back on the mat. I'm going to tell you, whoa, and I'm going to do it again. I know you can do nine steps, but we're we're trying to get to 10 steps. So it might take me several tries before I got him to stand still for 10 steps. Once we get to 10, click treat, tell you, whoa, and now we're going to go to 11. Obviously, I didn't do this in one day. It took many weeks and I actually didn't ever get to 300 with him. I got to like 176, which is really dang impressive. So in the beginning, he was really antsy, but he knew he should stay because he'd get rewards. But the cool thing about this was after a while, he got so chill and relaxed that, and he had been rewarded. This is the way that I do this. I do not do it punishment-based. You do not get punished if you don't do it or you do it wrong. You, We just have to start again. You just don't get your, you know, you don't get your rewards. So because he only related standing on his mat to hundreds and hundreds of cookies, he eventually like fell in love with standing still. He was just like, I love, I love the mat. It's my favorite thing in the world. He got so good at it that we would be doing Liberty together. And if his mat was in the arena, he would leave me the person with the bag of cookies to go stand on his mat. Cause he was just like, I love Matt. I love it so much. So it, that's a great way to teach ground tying because you get that horse so in love with standing and being quiet because he just relates it with all these warm, fuzzy feelings he has with getting cookies. And that's how I've taught a number of my other horses, including Remy. And Remy loves it. Um, that's his favorite thing to do in the whole world is stand still and accept cookies. Um, obviously, I don't need hundreds of cookies to maintain the behavior now because he will stand for many hundreds of steps without having to be constantly rewarded or supervised or uh, micromanaged. This is a very, again, this is, I'm thinking of alternate applications for this same skill set because yes, Nigel, my horse, when he is in any way up, he's, he's the busy guy. He's a thoroughbred. He, his, his default answer is move the feet, move the feet, move the feet. So being still is a real challenge for him. Now, when things are going his way, 
Oh, we just did some trots. I'm tired of doing circles. Yeah, let's stand still. He's great. But anytime anything is going on in his little brain, it's moved the feet. So I can see getting him to the point where he's classically conditioned that being still on this target is the most wonderful thing in the world can be really useful because as soon as you ask for the skill, his brain is auto- automatically going to um, release those endorphins going, oh, this is my happy place. For him to learn that skill could be really, really useful when a little bit of the adrenaline is starting to kick in. Oh, come on over here. Let's stand on this target. Oh, that's my happy place. <gasps> Maybe I should try that. Oh, yes, that's my good place. <gasps> Thank you, Remy, for teaching me that. <laughs> it is such a valuable, and the, I encourage anyone, if you're interested in learning more about that, the trainer who, uh, quote unquote, created that game, Alexandra Curl, and she's got a great book on clicker training, um, she actually developed it with a horse that sounds a lot like Scooter. Um, and this, I, I believe the story was, you know, she's at this boarding stable. It's, it was really cold and everything was frozen and turnout was very limited um, because the weather was just so bad. She had this young Cleveland Bay who was just very silly and antsy. And anytime she'd try to get him out and work with him, his big thing was he wanted to grab the lead rope from her and play with it. And so she used this game, the 300 peck pigeon um, of let's see how many steps we can go without you grabbing the lead rope and, you know, just started walking him around. And of course, the first several sessions of this game, he was very antsy and silly and he would behave only because, well, I know I'll get a cookie, but he was still kind of a silly, antsy horse. But over time, he started offering other behaviors that he would learn. So he started lowering his head as he was walking and she was like you know what that's i want to see that instead let's let's do head down and um you know so she taught the horse rather than trying to jerk the rope out of his mouth and then he's full of beans and crazy and running and pulling and everything she just said you don't get a reward if you do the wrong thing and you are going to get a reward when you do the right thing and uh, it takes a little time but the the and i've seen this time and time again with this type of training the The mental switch you see in this horse, a horse that you never thought would want to stand still and be quiet, just they get to where they love it. It's such a cool, like, switch to see in your horse. Well worth a go. Well, I think, do we we have one more question in there yet? There is. Yay! Can we do it? Yeah, let's do it. So this one is by Vicki, and she says, by making my horse take a pill every day, um, that they're not in the least bit happy about, am I causing learned helplessness or frustration and bad feelings toward me? Um, not necessarily if you go about it the right way. So I guess I'm, I'm assuming you're having to physically put the pill in the horse's mouth. Um, I would say if there's a way that you can crush it up and put it in their feed with a little bit of molasses or, uh, you know, something yummy tasting, that would be ideal. But if you're, if, if it's set up to where you have to actually put the pill in this horse's mouth, um, I would just pair it with also giving him something he likes to eat. I would say, um, Two elements of this, which is going to make your make this successful with your horse, is you need to figure out how to give the pill in such a way that it's very low stress um, and you're not fighting the horse to get him to take the pill. So there's a couple things I do when I want to uh, give the horse something orally. And uh, one of the easiest ways I found is... Uh, like if I have to stick the rumor in a horse's mouth, that's very poor about taking it. Uh, if I can stick my finger in the corner of their mouth alongside their teeth, so not across where their teeth are, obviously, I don't want to get my finger bit off, uh, but kind of like hook them like a fish hook. Um, they can raise their head as much as they want. I've got my, if I can keep my finger in there, then I can then go in with the wormer and I do it very quickly very low fuss and I'm in, I'm out, I'm done. So if you can figure out a way to give the pill to him to where you're very good with your timing and you can give it quickly, um, that's 
one way to kind of keep the stress uh, and bad feelings they have about it minimal. Uh, The other thing that I would suggest is once you are absolutely sure they have swallowed the pill is, um, you know, give them their favorite treat. Um, So you can even, you know, give one or two treats beforehand, make sure they've swallowed the treats. They don't have anything left in their mouth. So there's nothing to help them spit out the pill and then give the pill and then follow it immediately with like three or four or five of like their most favorite treats in the whole world. And that's kind of a way to sort of counteract the bad feelings about having a pill. Obviously, I'm assuming it's something the horse needs. So, you know, we've got to do it. It's it's just, uh, you know, he's got to take his medicine, unfortunately. Um, So we just want to kind of minimize all the all the bad feelings or frustration that they can have. And again, you can kind of unpoison that whole process if you make what's going on before and after it as pleasant as possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, you're right. If and I've I have used that method in that Nigel gets worm medicine paste, paste for his breathing issues. There's paste going in that horse's mouth a lot. Some of it's pretty <laughs> offensive. And I have fa- and I also have to rinse his eyes a lot because he's very irritated by flies. So mm-hmm. I have to squirt eye rinse in there a lot, which is not the most fun thing in the world. But I have made a habit now that as soon as and it w- works because now as soon as he sees the syringe that I squeeze the eye rinse into his eyes with, as soon as he cu- as soon as he sees that come out, he goes, "Oh, we're gonna do this!" Now he still hates it happening. He still puts his head up, but he's very very tolerant of it. I don't even tie him up because he knows the second that stuff goes into his eyeballs, I'm gonna shove the tastiest horse treat I can find into his mouth, and he yeah. knows that he he anticipates it. So there is hope that that can really help the horse go okay it's yucky but i'm gonna put up with it (laughs) yeah or you know if you can time it to where if the horse is getting a grain meal every day do it right before you feed him his morning or uh evening meal so yeah yeah i had to have the pill but now i eat breakfast um i i do that with horses that don't like being caught like i'm just gonna catch you up and then you're gonna get your breakfast every time you get caught or with remy um, he's got a white face, which is always dirty all the time. So I needed him very good about me washing his face, which most horses don't find pleasant. And uh, the first time I taught him about baths, I just had a bag of cookies. And I, anytime I sprayed his face, he'd get, he'd get lots of cookies. And now he has his head down and he lets me wash every part of his face. No problem. He doesn't necessarily enjoy having his face washed, but he knows that, oh, I know what's coming after this. So it's totally worth it. So it's a good way to kind of counteract anything that they might feel uncomfortable about. Cool. Well, that's going to be a wrap for today. Uh, where can people appropriately stalk you online, have, ask you to train their horse, ask you to do a clinic, attend a clinic that's already scheduled, etc.? You can find me at Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship on Facebook. Dun, dun, dun. And we'll be back again in our, tomorrow with another Horses in the Morning show. And if you want to be a power listener to Horses in the Morning and the other many, 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 many engaging horse podcasts on Horse Radio Network, go to your favorite podcast player you can either type in the name of your favorite show for example horses in the morning and subscribe that way or if you type in horse radio network you're going to come to something called the all shows feed where you can have every single show on the horse radio network downloaded automatically to your phone it's amazing 